worship of our great king. Uh, I'm thankful that uh, being able to uh, step in and, uh, and be of uh, assistance to Pastor Lucas this morning, and, uh, and I'm grateful for our opportunity to open God's word together. You know, you've probably noticed this, but uh, people like to talk about God's blessing all the time. Uh, whether it be uh, that somebody is praying for somebody else and they're not really sure quite what to pray, and so they pray, and, and Lord, would you just bless them? Or whether it be that somebody sneezes and uh, somebody else in the room says, bless you. Or whether it be that we are sad and we're perhaps listening to a, uh, a political speech. Uh, many of us are accustomed to hearing whoever happens to be the president at that time end a speech by saying, and God bless these United States of America. And unfortunately, if you've ever had the misfortune of turning on the TV and finding one of the TV evangelists that uh, haunt some of those channels, then you are probably familiar with the fact that they sure like to talk about God's blessing. And usually it has something to do with sending them money in order to receive God's blessing. As uh, you heard a little bit earlier, I have the privilege of serving with a ministry called Cary International Pastoral Training, and that takes us all around the world as we uh, come alongside pastors and leaders of local churches and networks in various different countries. And so uh, as we go into places that are predominantly Islamic communities or predominantly Hindu uh, countries or uh, Buddhist environments or in regions with uh, tyrannical communist governments where the church there has to meet underground, we see all sorts of challenges faced by the church. But we also go into some other areas, and you heard referenced earlier Uganda, and it's an example of the, the fact that really all around the world, there are issues and struggles that the church is having with false teaching. And one of those most insipid forms of false teaching is what's sometimes referred to as the prosperity gospel. And, and it is an emphasis on this idea of God wants to bless you, but it usually is from a basis where it uh, ignores the reality of the sinfulness of man. It, it downplays or totally does away with the perfect sacrifice of Christ Jesus as the only Lord and Savior who has borne our sins. It becomes a very man-centered rather than God-centered way of teaching. In fact, uh, we mentioned Uganda earlier, and this has become so prevalent there in Uganda that even government officials in that country are concerned about how this prosperity gospel, this false understanding of God's blessing is impacting people throughout the country, and therefore... Uh, they are talking about closing every church in the country that is not led by a formally trained pastor. At first, that might seem like a wonderful idea, other than the fact that in Uganda, just like in many other countries around the world, nearly nine out of ten churches are led by pastors and leaders who have never had even a single day of Bible training. 
And so those who are hungry there are crying out for help. They're crying out for help because they want to be able to shepherd the church well. They're crying out for help because they want to know how to counter false teaching. They're crying out for help because they want to understand how to more effectively proclaim the true and pure gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We may not be in an environment where we face quite those same challenges, but, as I've already suggested, whether it be an unscrupulous false teacher, whether it be in the prayer of a well-meaning believer, or whether it be in the speech of a political figure, we know that we live in a world where people are fascinated with God's blessing. In fact, I would suggest to you that even those people who would adamantly say that they don't believe that God exists would still probably tell you, but if he does, I'd sure like him to bless me. And so it's appropriate, with this being such a a, a topic of interest in our world, it's appropriate that we should ask the question, what exactly is God's blessing, and what are we supposed to do with it? How are we supposed to understand it. And I want to suggest to you that every one of us, every one of us has experienced the merciful, generous blessing of God in our lives, just even the fact that we're gathered here this morning. In fact, if we were to take time to recount God's blessings, we would be here all week and longer. There would be so many and so varied that we could never even begin to scratch the surface. But I want to invite you this morning to join me in Psalm 67. Psalm 67 in the Old Testament. And and here are what we're going to uh, discover together is, in a sense, something of an understanding of how we are to rightly comprehend God's blessing. We're going to uh, come across, if you like, some answers to some questions like, Is it ever right for us to seek God's blessing? Why does God bless his people anyway? What's the purpose of God's blessing? And and then how are we as a blessed people supposed to live? And as this psalmist here in Psalm 67 uh, writes, as we find this, this song, this hymn of worship to God that was perhaps used in particular around the time of harvest, amongst the people of Israel. He helps us to understand a vital truth. And that is that God's blessing is never primarily for our own benefit. So we read these words, beginning in verse 1 of Psalm 67. It says, To the choir master with stringed instruments, a psalm, a song, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Selah. That your way may be known on the earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Selah. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. 
The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Well, as this psalm begins, we see that the purpose of God's blessing his people is that all of the nations might know and praise him. As we look here at at, at verse 1, we read, May God be gracious to us and and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. And for some of us, that may sound somewhat familiar. Uh, My understanding is that you're just uh, um, in the midst of a series in the book of Numbers at present here at CFC. And and, uh, surely as uh, as the psalmist was penning these words, what was echoing in his mind and in his heart was the Aaronic priestly blessing of Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 through 26, where there we read, uh, um, uh, May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord lift up his face toward you and be gracious to you. May the Lord set his countenance upon you and give you peace. And this was a a blessing that was given to the line of Aaron to declare over the people of Israel. And here in this psalm, the psalmist begins with this, and in a sense he answers one of those questions that I mentioned earlier. Is it ever right for us to seek God's blessing? And and what we find here is actually a petition, is a prayer right in Scripture where he is literally saying, God, would you bless us? But this is a different kind of blessing to what, uh, what those prosperity preachers often think about. It's a different kind of blessing to what maybe sometimes comes to our minds. Because in, in this request, as he said, it says, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. The imagery here of this being gracious, of setting his face or turning his face, is really this idea that God would look upon his people with favor favor. The blessing that he gives begins with his divine presence. We see twice in this psalm this, this word selah. It's probably a, uh, indicating some sort of musical break, although it's a Hebrew term that, to be honest, the full meaning of it has been somewhat lost to us. But then we see that this blessing of God is truly not simply about the psalmist or even the people of Israel or us today ourselves. You see, way back in the book of Genesis, when God called Abraham, he declared to him, I will bless you, and through you, through your descendants, all of the nations of the earth will be blessed. And that promise that we find there in the book of Genesis finds its ultimate fulfillment in the person of Jesus Christ, whose earthly lineage is through Abraham. But all through the Old Testament, we see that as God calls to himself a people, the people of Israel, he sets them apart as a nation, that he is also working out the fulfillment of that promise, that they are to be, in a sense, his physical, visible representatives before a watching world. And so as God calls the nation of Israel, he calls them, he sets them apart, he leads them out of captivity into this promised land with the purpose 
that he might bless them and that all of the surrounding nations might look at them and say, wow, what's so different about those Israelites? Well, what's so different? Why do they worship that way? Why do they live so distinctly? How come they experience such favor from their God? And the idea was that all of the surrounding nations were then to see and to become curious and becoming curious. The people of Israel were to be, in a sense, a light to the nations that set on display the supremacy of the life that is lived in God and that the surrounding nations were to seek after Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God. And so this blessing of God that they're seeking is not just for themselves, but rather the purpose here of God's blessing, as it's revealed in, in verse 2, is that your way may be known on the earth, your saving power among all the nations. And so through, the, through God showing his favor to his people, it was to put on display for a watching world to see that God is a powerful God, that God is a God who saves, that he is the one who brought them out of slavery and captivity in Egypt into their own land. And of course, even still today, for us as followers of Jesus Christ, we get to put on display for a watching world to see that God is still a powerful and saving God that he has rescued us not from captivity and slavery to Egypt, but from captivity and slavery to sin. And so the petition of the psalmist here is with an eye toward the nations. The purpose is that the nations might know him and that knowing him, the right response will be that they will praise him. That the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Now, one of the things that we have to understand as we move from beginning to end all through the Scriptures is that we see that God does all things for his own praise and glory. In fact, we've just sang that, haven't we? We've just declared that together. God does all things at all times and in all ways for his own own glory. And so one of the great reminders that we find in the pages of Scripture is the fact that only God is worthy of praise. It is right that the nations should praise Him because there is no other who is worthy of praise. And so we read, as we go through the pages of the Old Testament, we read phrases like, uh, the Lord is a jealous God. And some of us get uncomfortable with that. But you see, God's declaring that he is a jealous God is not a statement that he is insecure or petty. Rather, it is a reminder of the fact that there is no other who deserves what he deserves. And so he is jealous for his own glory. He is jealous for his own fame. And so in the book of Isaiah, for example, in Isaiah chapter 42, verse 8, we read, I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. 
You see, whenever a person attributes to a false god something that only rightly belongs to the true and living God, that is a sinful idolatry. But more than that, whenever somebody takes a blessing that God has graciously and mercifully given and fails to acknowledge that its source is him and him alone, they become a glory thief. Whenever we fall into that trap of thinking that the things that we have, we have because we deserve it, because we worked hard enough, because we're impressive enough, then we start to find ourselves in that place where instead of doing that which is right and praising God, we do that which is wrong. And we think that those blessings are for the blessing's sake. In fact, we have to be on guard of this because we see all through the Old Testament that the nation of Israel fell into this trap. But here's the good news. This is what we can rejoice in. Though God does all things at all times and in all ways for his own glory, he is so merciful. He is so merciful because God has chosen to bring glory to himself in a way that brings blessing to his people. And if you doubt that, just look to the cross. If you doubt that, just look to the Lord Jesus Christ. God has chosen to bring glory to himself in a way that brings blessing to his people. The problem, as I've already alluded to, the problem is that in ancient Israel, the people who were supposed to enjoy the blessings of God and use them for the sake of the surrounding nations, they lost sight of their holy calling. They lost sight of their holy calling and they began to see the blessings of God as a point of pride and of boasting. They lost sight of the blessings of God and they began to believe that those blessings belonged to them purely for their own utilization. They lost sight of the blessings of God of the purpose of those blessings, and they began to assume that they could live for their own glory and still count on God continuing to bless them. They lost sight of their calling to be a light to the nations. And if we're honest, that pretty much sums up where much of the church in our day today is as well. We assume that God blesses us for our own sake. We assume that we can do whatever we want with his blessings. Thanks God for this. Now I'm gonna go and do what I choose. We use his blessings for our own glory and our own fame instead of his. And God forgive us. We look down 
upon other people who do not yet know him, who do not yet understand their need of Christ, and we are quick to criticize and to condemn them for something in their life that is different than ours, all the while forgetting that we are supposed to be these physical, visible representatives of our gracious God before a watching world. But the psalmist continues to explain. He shows that not only is the purpose of God's blessing that the nations may know and praise God, but he goes on to explain that it is right that all of the nations, it's right that all people everywhere should know and praise him because he is a God who sovereignly judges and and faithfully guides everyone. In other words, the psalmist goes on to explain that that it's not only appropriate because God is worthy of praise and honor, but it actually is a blessing to all people when they recognize the blessings of God. It brings joy to people when they know who he is and what he has done. Uh, Look with me at verse 4. It says, Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and you guide the nations upon the earth. He points here specifically to two uh, activities of God as a, a reminder of why it is a joyful and praiseworthy thing for all people everywhere to acknowledge and worship God. And the first of those activities that he points to is that God judges the peoples with equity. Uh, Here he's pointing to the sovereignty of God. That is that God is king and ruler over all things in all places at all time. There is nothing that is outside of God's sovereign reign. And under his sovereign rule, God faithfully judges the nations with equity. Now, this idea of judging with equity is literally to to do it straightly and and, uh, in a straight manner and without distortion. It's a, a fair and right and just judgment. And, and one of the reasons in which the, all people everywhere should rejoice in this fact uh, can take joy in a right knowledge of God and recognize that this in itself is a blessing is the fact that it reminds us that even though we may have been hurt by others, even though there may be places in the world where, where people even today are living under an unjust system, my heart goes out in this season for our brothers and sisters in Christ in the land of Myanmar. It's one of the countries in which we work. We have three training centers there. And as you're probably aware, if you've been keeping up with the news, they had a military coup about a month and a half ago. And the persecution of believers there right now is intense. We need to be praying for them. But what a joy it is to know what comfort we can take I had the privilege of sharing even this verse recently with uh, David, one of our pastors there in Myanmar, and talking with him about it. What joy we can take and what comfort we can find in the knowledge of the fact that there is a sovereign God and he sees and he knows and he judges all things fairly and rightly and there will never be one unjust act that goes unpunished and there will never go one righteous 
act that goes unrewarded because God is faithful. He is faithful. And we know and we understand that 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 punishment, that right dealing with that, every act of sin will be dealt with either. It has been dealt with at the cross of Christ or in an eternity apart from the living God. But God judges individuals and nations rightly and justly. And so I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know what pain you may have gone through, what sense of betrayal you have faced, what hurt you are carrying. And I am so sorry for whatever it is that you have faced. But let me just encourage you. I don't know why. I don't have the answers to every one of those details, but I do know this, that God sees. He knows where you are. He delights to draw near and to give comfort and to give peace even in the midst of that hurt. And he has not forgotten that. You can go to him. You can draw near to him and you can find help and hope. But more than that, It's not only right, it's not only a blessing, it's not only a joy that all people everywhere uh, should praise him because he he judges the people with equity, but also because he guides the nations upon earth. I I love this because, you see, uh, he is not saying here, yes, we have a sovereign God, and he just kind of says, okay, get to it. There's the map. Go figure it out. That's not what our God is like. No, this this guiding that the psalmist is talking about here is something which is intimate and personal. In in fact, we see this same word, the Hebrew word that is behind this, uh, appears several other times in the Old Testament. We find it in the book of Genesis in chapter 24, verse 48. When Abraham has sent out his servant to go and find a wife for his son, Isaac. And this servant, after he, after he finds uh, Rebekah there at the well, and she offers to, to, to water his camels for him. Uh, this servant praises God. He gives thanks to the Lord for having directed his path, for having guided him to this person, and allowed his mission to be fulfilled. That same word occurs another time in Exodus chapter 13, verse 21, where there it talks about the people of Israel who have now come out of captivity in Egypt. And as they are out there in the wilderness, we learn that God goes before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And it says, and he guided them for 40 years in the wilderness. He led them in their midst each day in the way that they should go. And here again, the psalmist is pointing to the fact that one of the blessings of God, one of the reasons that all people everywhere should acknowledge and and praise and worship God, that all people everywhere should rightly understand who he is and what he's like, is that we have a God who guides, who walks with, who shows the way, who never leaves or forsakes. That he is setting the affairs and the directions of the nations, but also of you and I. 
And so, it is good, it is right, says the psalmist, that all should sing for joy because of who he is. And then we come towards the close of the psalm here in in, in verse uh, 6 and 7. But before we get to that, we see this echo again in verse 5. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. And then as the psalm closes, we see that God is faithful in his blessing so that all of the nations might fear him. It says, the earth has yielded its increase, verse 6. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. And so here we see kind of a restatement or a repetition of the general theme of this, of this psalm. This is why many people look at this psalm and think, well, maybe this was a harvest time song for the people of Israel because it points to the abundance, the yield of the land. But at the heart of this, we see that the psalmist is pointing even to this material blessing as merely a demonstration of how God has remained faithful to his people and how they believe that they will count on him in the days ahead. You know, the, um, the language here is a little bit challenging uh, because uh, in the original, the, the, the tenses are different than what we are accustomed to in English. But the idea seems to be that God, our God, shall bless us, uh, and, and, which is future, and yet the earth has, has yielded its increase, which is past. And so the psalmist seems to be pointing back the people of Israel and saying, remember how God has blessed us in the past. Look to his blessing, but also then looking forward with a sense of confidence. Yes, God will bless. Yes, God will answer our petition from verse 1. May the Lord bless us. May the Lord be gracious to us. Yes, there is a confident affirmation that because of who God is, because it is in his nature to be generous that he delights to show favor and bring blessing to his people. But one more time, we have this corrective given to us in verse 7. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. We're reminded that the end goal of the blessing of God is the glory of God among the nations. The end goal of the blessing of God is the glory of God among the nations. It's a subtle, perhaps, but a very important corrective from what is often considered to be a misunderstanding of blessings. But it's appropriate that we would stop in light of this psalm and recognize that really the ultimate fulfillment of this psalm, this idea that all of the ends of the earth should fear him, that God blesses for the sake of his glory among the nations, because we look forward to that soon and coming day of Christ when the prophets tell us that the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. We look forward to that day where Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There is coming a day and it, is, it finds its fulfillment in Christ himself when indeed all people everywhere 
will acknowledge and give glory to God. They will recognize him for who he is. But in light of this, it's appropriate that we ask the question, how has God blessed us? How has God blessed us? Uh, He's blessed us. He's blessed us spiritually. If you're here this morning, I hope that you know what it is to be in Christ, to be able to say that, that Christ is your Savior, that your sins have been forgiven. The affirmations that we made earlier in the service are, are, are dear and rich for your heart. He has blessed us spiritually through Christ and in the knowledge of Him. He's blessed us materially. We know this. It's true, oftentimes we look around and we see other people who have more than we have, or we, have, we see other people who have something that, that we would like to have. But the truth of the matter is that we have been unusually blessed. We have a home, we have a, a roof over our head, we have means of getting here on a Sunday morning. As we gather together, we are in a beautiful building here think sometimes of how I gather together with churches in different places around the world, sometimes meeting under a tree. And you know what? They are blessed that they have shade. What blessings we have. The Lord has blessed us relationally. He has surrounded us with people in our own family, in our own church, in our own community, some of whom know him and others who don't yet know him but he's blessed us with people around us with whom we can share the encouragement that we have in Christ and whom we can be encouraged by. And you know what? He's blessed us practically. He's blessed us practically. Some of us here have gifts and talents and abilities that we are able to discharge in our service to Christ. In fact, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you have a spiritual gift given to you for the building up of the body. One of the things that um, we are blessed with, of course, is Bibles. We mentioned earlier about the fact that many of these pastors that we're training in different places around the world don't have their own copy of the Scriptures. And yet, I'll be honest, I've got more copies in my home than I can count. One of the things that uh, we find as we go to different places around the world, I'm constantly reminded of the fact that I live up in Woodstock, so 50 minutes from here or something like that. Did you know that within about an hour of where we are right now, that there are five world-class evangelical seminaries? I'm not even including the ones that that are outside of the camp of evangelicalism, but five world-class evangelical seminaries within an hour of here. When I'm in, when I'm in Tamatov in, in Madagascar, I, I have pastors who travel a thousand kilometers to come and receive training. They, they come by foot to the nearest road where they jump on the back of a truck, where they then travel to a town where they can find a bus. Some of them are traveling for four days in each direction just to get to the training. When we stop and we think of the blessings that we have, we ought rightly to give thanks. 
But there is something more that we ought rightly to do. There's an old hymn that says, Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God has done. Count your blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. There's a sense in which Psalm 67 invites us to do just that, to take a blessing inventory. It tells us, yes, it is right that we should look to the Lord who is faithful and generous and say, Lord, would you indeed bless us? Would you make your face to shine upon us and be gracious to us? Would you lift up your countenance toward us and, and, and grant us peace? But when we take a blessing inventory, and maybe for some of us that's something we could even do this afternoon with our family, with our spouse, even on our own, and just stop and give thanks to God and say, God, how have you blessed me? Would you help me to see? Because I want to acknowledge that and give it back in praise to you. Taking a blessing inventory allows us to stop and to slow down. It helps us to guard against robbing God of his glory. Taking a blessing inventory reminds us that every good and perfect gift that we have comes from him. Taking a blessing inventory leads us to thanksgiving, to worship, and to, and to a joyful contentment. And I have a confession to make that contentment is something I find hard. But when I stop and I remember that God in his wisdom has entrusted to me what he has entrusted to me, and has kept me from having what he has kept me from having. I'm able to learn contentment once again. Taking a blessing inventory challenges us to consider how are we using his blessings for the sake of our fellow believers, for the sake of those around us who don't yet know him, and even for the sake of the nations. You see, we might ask the question, why is it that God would choose to look with favor upon me? Why is it that God would choose to bless us in so many ways? I want you to know it's because you have a Father who delights in you because you have a Father who is gracious and merciful, abounding in loving kindness. Why? Why does he bless his people? He blesses his people for the sake of his glory among all people, for the sake of his glory among all the nations. And so my prayer for us, my prayer for myself, is that the Lord would bless you and keep you. That the Lord would turn his face toward you and be gracious to you. That the Lord would lift up his countenance over you and grant you peace for the sake of his glory 
among your friends and your neighbors, your co-workers and your family, and yes, for the sake of his glory among the nations. Would you pray with me? Lord,